6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. Well, many of you won't soon forget the chaotic scenes from the airport in Kabul, Afghanistan, as people desperate to get out of that country scrambled to get on a plane and escape. It's been nearly two months since the Taliban regained control of that country, and the United States withdrew all of its troops. Here in Canada, promises have been made to get those, or to help and get those Afghans who helped Canadian troops during the war to safety. And while just over 2,000 Afghan refugees have arrived in the country, there are many more still waiting for help and some stranded in other countries. The good news is that the work continues, oftentimes being done by a network of military veterans committed to helping those who help them. The bad news is it's taking a long time and a lot of money. Quentin Ennis is one of those veterans. He's a retired major who spent years in Afghanistan between 2006 and 2014. He has been keeping us updated on what has been happening over the past couple of months. Quentin, welcome back to the show. Good, uh, good to, sit, to talk to you again, Jalen. When we talk about the network that is right now working to get folks uh, into Canada, when we talk about that network, is it mainly veterans doing this work now, Quentin? Yeah, the principals are mostly veterans, and a, a lot of the people that are um, working in the network uh, were, were in um, veterans' networks before. So we've actually linked people that were working in charities, uh, linked people that were working in professional organizations, and we're building a network of veterans across the country. So the people that are working the, the financial side of it are in Vancouver. The guys working the media side of it are in um, Toronto. Uh, the people working on the operations side of it, actually moving people around Afghanistan, are working mostly out of Halifax. Wow. All right. And you're based here in the capital region. Now, how, how much work, well, I know it's been a lot of work, but how much success has the network had? Um, not a lot. I mean, if you just go by raw numbers, uh, we were tracking um, over 2,000 families uh, back in Afghanistan. Uh, that that works out to about 10,000 people. Mm. Uh, we've managed to get a couple hundred into Canada. Mm. So the, the percentage is, is 8%. 92% of the people that we're tracking are still in Afghanistan. And what do you, you know, I know that uh, you're in contact with some folks who are still obviously in Afghanistan. What, what are you hearing from them? Um... They're getting desperate. They're running out of money. Uh, the people that are in the safe houses are, you know, reasonably safe. The Taliban is not not molesting them or coming after them. Um, I'm dealing with people who are not uh, in the safe houses who, you know, are, are living still in their own homes, and they are they're having problems. The Taliban are starting to lean on them. But uh, just to give you an example, I mean, you, you, you mentioned that, you know, people are taking months to get through. So I have one individual who's in a safe house right now, uh, he submitted his forms to IRCC on the 5th of August. He had a phone interview with IRCC on the 21st of September. Uh, he's still sitting in Kabul waiting for um, a word to go to, to Pakistan. Wow. And so for those who don't know, what is IRCC? So IRCC is a Immigration Refugees and Citizenship Canada. They're the organization that were given the lead on this. And they're the ones that are supposed to be arranging for Afghans to come out of Afghanistan and into Canada. So I had that, uh, that interview on September 21st. It's almost a month later. So, you know, I remember the very first time we talked, Quentin, and you had said, you know, um, <clears throat> Canada tends to do um, red tape and bureaucracy very, very well. Um, and, and we're continuing to see that, aren't we? 
We are. I mean, if you break the problem down into three parts, there is the authority part on the front end, which means getting people the travel documents that they need to get out of Afghanistan and and transit through third countries because there's no direct path from Afghanistan to Canada. And then the second part of it is moving people. That's the the logistical part of it. And the third part of it is resettlement. Mm. Now, if you work backwards from resettlement, we're actually doing fairly well. I have one of the guys that got out of... uh, of Kabul uh, before the, the the airlift ended, he, he and his wife spent three days, basically cloverleafing the airport trying to get in, hmm. and they managed to finally get in on the on the third day. Uh, he's in London, Ontario now. He's set up with an apartment. Uh, he's working. He's got a job. Wow. He ran a construction company in Kandahar. He's now working as a site supervisor, so he you know he he's working well. So when we get people to Canada. Um, IRCC and the organizations that work with IRCC, they kick in and they do a good job. That's not a problem. Uh, Moving people, physically moving people from Kabul to Canada, again, not a problem. If we had the authority to do it, we could set up an air bridge within about 48 hours and start flying people out. We've managed to get people out through Pakistan, through Islamabad, Islamabad overland, and we can also get people out through Uzbekistan. But the problem is you can't move people unless you have the paperwork. That's the holdup. It's the visa issue that's the holdup. It's the authorities that are the holdup. And how, how dangerous is then to, to move people over land through, through Pakistan and through Uzbekistan? Uh, right now, it doesn't seem to be too bad if you have the approvals. Okay. So if the, if the Taliban checkpoints see you, you know, they pick up an Afghan moving or Afghan his family moving, and those individuals have documents that are stamped and signed and look official, then the the checkpoint commanders aren't going to mess with that. They're going to let them through. And once they get to the border, of course, they have to deal with the Pakistani bureaucracy. So the Pakistani bureaucracy, if they have a proper travel uh, certificate, proper visa, will let them through. The problem is that uh, if they don't have those visas and they get into Pakistan and they get picked up by the Pakistani police or by Taliban patrols within Afghanistan, because the Taliban also openly patrol in parts of Afghanistan, uh, if they get picked up at checkpoints, then they will be shipped back to Kabul. So, so Quentin, what kind of pressure can be or is being put on, on, on those getting those visas to get things moving faster? Well, the problem we have right now is that we have a government that decided to hold an election, and then we have a government that decided not to form a government, uh, having won the election. So I, that's, I think that's fairly unique in democratic history. Typically, when people win elections, uh, the next move is to actually form a government and you know appoint people to positions and actually start governing. Um, and I'm not seeing a whole lot of that out of this government. It seems for some reason they don't actually want to be in charge. Yeah, we're hearing that it could be uh, it's going to be more uh, weeks before Parliament is. Uh, is 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 back in place. I think it was around November 20th is what I heard. So it, it, when we talk about the costs, you know, the costs uh, of these safe houses where people are, are, are being protected at, what what does that run? What does that look like? It looks like about ten to $20,000 a day. Oh, wow. So there's a cost of actually paying for the houses. There's a cost of paying to feed people. There's a cost of paying to move people. And uh, those costs right now are being borne by charities. Uh, they're being paid for by individual Canadians. And uh, we've yet to see any money out of the federal government. So although the federal government is quite willing to kick in money to charities at this end in Canada to help house people, for some reason they are opposed or afraid or unable or unwilling uh, to 
Iraqis that are spending that money in Afghanistan to protect and support Afghans in Afghanistan. I know that there have been many listeners who have texted and say, you know, how how can I help? What what can we do here? Like, what what can we do? So the question is, Quentin, what can we do? Uh, phone your MP, write to your MP, uh, put pressure on your member of parliament, wh- whatever party they are, because this is not a liberal or conservative, it's not a partisan issue. This is a cross-partisan issue. This is a, an issue about values and about doing the right thing. The second thing you can do is contribute. If you go into the website, Afghan Canadian Interpreters website, you'll see links uh, for making donations. Uh, the donations are going through the Veterans Transition Network, which has been repurposed uh, to support the uh, safe houses. And the money that you that you donate will be used uh, to feed and house Afghans. Did you ever think when you retired that this is what you'd be doing, Quentin? Um, I didn't. I, I, I honestly, I was one of those people who thought that there was going to be a relatively smooth transition mm. uh, from uh, the, the end of the NATO mission through the, the primarily American-led mission and, uh, and to the, uh, the Afghan National Security Forces. I mean, we, we built a, an ANSF of, you know, 300,000 people. Um, they're, they were fairly capable, but I think the, uh, the Doha agreement that was put in place by the previous American administration cut the, the legs out from underneath the Afghan government. And uh, I think the problem is that uh, when you want to fight an insurgency, uh, you've got to be in it to win it. Mm. And if you're just going to, to, to take your, your marbles and walk away from the table, you're not going to win. Uh, so I think um, the Taliban are, are going to be in power as much as they can be in Afghanistan for you know, the next five to six years before they fall apart. Uh, I think Afghanistan will spiral into, uh, into chaos, mm. and I think some of that chaos is going to spill over into the neighboring countries. So, you know, my great-grandfather was in Kandahar with Roberts back in the 1890s, so it's kind of part of the family business, I guess. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Quentin, uh, anything else that you want folks to know before I let you go? Yeah, I think uh, the key thing is uh, keep the pressure up, keep keep pressuring the, the politicians to do the right thing, and, and phrase it as a moral issue. This isn't about being partisan. It isn't about beating up the government, uh, much as we like to do that. It isn't about casting aspersions on people. The people at IRCC that I talk to, and I talk to them three times a week, they're working hard, and, and they're as frustrated as everybody else because they're not getting the direction that they need. Mm-hmm. The people that are running the safe houses are putting their lives on the line, literally, to run those safe houses. Uh, So there is a solution here. It just depends on the government getting engaged, and it depends on the government getting that authority process working so we can get visas and we can move people. Quentin, thanks for keeping us updated, and, and please continue to do so. Will do. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Retired Major Quentin Innes joining us this afternoon, part of that Veterans Network helping to get those Afghan interpreters and their families uh, safely to Canada, like the promise that was made. And then we're still seeing many of them still uh, stranded in that war-torn country. The website that he mentioned is afghaninterpreters.ca if you want to find out more.